show that can't take the news seriously in National City because they picked Purd to be lead anchor. How did? How does anyone watch Supergirl and be like that? That's Purd. That's Purd happily. That is the word with Purd. That's not the news. That's the word with Purd. <laughs> really should have just called it the word with Purd. It. They should have just gave up. It, it would have injected slightly more joy into this crazy world. So who are you? So I'm Scott. And I'm Sam. And yeah, this is this is the show. We're keeping up with Summer and Mecca. Uh, so we're probably going to do a little twofer here. But before we get into the twofer part of this, let's have a little pick of the week. What you got, Sam? So I got two. They're both pretty quick. Uh, the first one is I have been adoring uh, Paramore's album After Laughter, which came out in 2017. It has been my go-to driving music. Uh, Haley Williams, for all the weird things she has said over the years, the woman can still belt a tune really nicely. And I like driving and yelling it at the top of my lungs. Secondary pick is we finished watching all of Sex Education. And it was the most perfect thing I ever watched in my entire life. And oh my god, the amount of headwing and the angry inch just made me so fucking happy. I think Scott and I spent the entire weekend singing the origin of love to each other all of the goddamn time. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> also, Eric is the most perfect character on the show. And y'all can fucking fight me on that. All right. So I guess that leaves me for pick the week, which I'm going to say... I'm going to throw it to a new-ish podcast. Uh, John Green is doing the a show called The Anthropocene Reviewed, in which uh, in an episode he will do two essay reviews, one of, usually it seems to be uh, a balance of something very small and mundane, like pineapple and pizza, or... Um, the breakfast menu at Taco Bell, and then the first the first one will be something bigger, like uh, bacterial meningitis or uh, you know romance novels. It, it's two really interesting ep- ep- uh, essays, and there's almost a theme between them. And he always reviews them on a scale of five, because I guess the whole bit is that it started out as a joke between him and Hank. Uh, about how everything should be reviewed out of, you know, five stars, whether or not that makes sense at all. So, you know, you're stuck with reviewing the concept of the American penny and giving it two stars, because I guess that's what pennies mean in the modern world. I never thought I'd hear the name Hank, Hank and John Green come out of your mouth. Now, I'm... I'm an OG John Green fan for Crash Course. I guess that's not really OG because I didn't really care about Vlog Brothers, but like uh, Crash Course is an amazing production setup and an amazing plan. Uh, I've been married to you for five years. I mean, you would make fun of me reading a John Green book. Yeah. You make fun of me. And yeah. yet, yes, that's a fan. No, I'm a, I'm a fan of his educational YouTubery and his weird thoughts on things. And uh, you just read the silly romance novels that are sad and manipulative. Tell John Green that. John Green agrees. It's why it took so long. It's why it took him seven years to release a second novel. 
Dear. Yeah? Do you know how many novels he's written? I understand, but th- there was a big jump between novel one and novel two. Yeah. There's always been a big jump between all of his books, dear. Because sad and manipulative is his bread and butter. Yeah. I still enjoy them. So does Ant-Man. Ant-Man's got okay taste. Disney did not clear that with him specifically. They probably cleared that with his publisher. So he did not know until he was sitting in the theater with his son. It's a little depressing. Yeah. Was he upset about it? No. Well, he's just sitting there uh, in the movie theater with his son. It's like, Dad, that's your book! And I'm like, yes, son, I know that's my book. I know what my book looks like. Also, why is it in that movie? Okay. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about sappy John Green novels. I mean, we're here to talk about robots. This is my one episode I well, do. Bef- I, my I, one I, summer of Mecca episode I do once, what, every two years? Three yeah. years? I appreciate your segue, but first we should mention that we are sponsored oh, by yeah. the Humble Monthly, in I which monthly. you uh, pay a small monthly fee in exchange for a large number of monthly games. And some of that your fee uh, goes to me, and some of that fee goes to them, and some of that fee goes to charity. And that seems like a good way to do things. An excellent way to do things. So hit up the show notes for our specific affiliate link. Uh, I'm sorry, it's not like super catchy, um, but it's it's going to be ours and it'll help us out. And honestly, I'll probably just use the money to buy video games, but that's cool. I like video games. Did you, did you know Judgment came out? <laughs> Uh, I'm aware the judgment came out. In fact, I think the last time I had humble money in my wallet, I think I used it to buy Sam a game where you farm skeletons. I'm really excited about the Graveyard Keeper game. It, it's like Harvest Moon, but you're a necromancer, and I'm like, that is a thing my wife would enjoy. I'm pretty sure. One at some point, I'll come back on the shoe. The shoe. The shoe. I worked a long day. I talked to children mostly. <laughs> I will come back on the show and maybe I will give you guys a mini review of the graveyard, the graveyard Keeper game and tell you how probably it's wonderful. And since Harvest Moon has gone to the Sadlands now, you know, it's probably better. I mean, might not be as good as Stardew Valley. We'll find out. I mean, I think, I think it's, I, I, I kind of love uh, that Harvest Moon or Harvest Moon broke. It split and that gave other people permission to do farm games. In a way that had not been done before, because you would assume that you know Harvest Moon was just insurmountable in the niche. I mean, we're getting a Doraemon of Seasons game. That seems like that's a... the actual title, Doraemon of Seasons. See, I, I appreciate that. Um, perhaps Harvest Moon skews a little young, and the Doraemon's pretty all right. Uh, he's a cat robot from the future. Uh, but I think, I, I don't think that flies as far as, say, uh, Sergeant Frog of Seasons. It's true, Sergeant Frog is... And, the, like, uh, like... You mean, you mean Tales of, of Frog, or what were we calling that? Ta- I, I believe it was Tales of Frog. It was Tales of Frog? Okay. But, I mean, come on, like, you'd be, like, the new alien in the town, and you'd have to, like, romance your frog ma- alien... By giving them gifts. I want to rewatch Sergeant Frog now. But that's what I'm getting out of this conversation. Sergeant Frog is a cool show. What was the really cute one's name? Tamama. Tamama. Tamama was my bae. 
I mean, I think we could get away with reviewing Sergeant Frog as part of Summer Mecca one year. We could, but it does need a rewatch. But, I mean, well, there, there's no harm in rewatching it. But... Ta-ma-ma, ta ma he is bae. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Again, being gross. <laughs> He's just a sweet bean. Yeah, alright. So, uh, we're actually going to do a little bit of a twofer uh, for Summer of Mecca. Uh, we're going to start with Mech Cadet U, which is a 12-issue comical book by Gene Yuen. No! Oh! Greg Pak! Greg Pak. I'm... Okay, you... You got it confused because Gene Yuen Lang also likes to write things with robots sometimes. Yeah, it's... it's I'm, I'm sorry, I perhaps was a little bit racist there. Would, I you like, would you like to edit that and fix it correctly? No, I, I I will cop to being like, I confused the two Asian comic, North American comic book writers. I mean... Uh, so Greg Pak uh, put together a fun little 12-issue story where um, uh, crazy bug monsters try to invade Earth and crazy robot aliens help humans. And it's unclear as to where the bugs come from or the robots come from. and uh, of course, even though humanity keeps winning with the help of the robot aliens, uh, the army decides to be a dick and, like, cut up the robots for parts to make evil robots, because I guess they weren't winning hard enough. And, uh, it's kind of got this fun, it's definitely got, like, a bit of a fun Ava vibe to it with a little bit of, um... I think it outright pokes fun at Ava. Oh, no. It, it definitely pokes fun at Ava, especially when you see the big evil robot that the army makes, and it's definitely Unit 2. It's definitely Unit 2. Uh, and the daddy issues of... Um, of you. Well, the daddy issues of, you know, oh. the designated evil pilot who's not really evil. She grows out of it. But, oh, like... She, she becomes just like, eh, bitch, please, dad, I don't really care. But... I was going to say, you also has daddy issues, too. Yeah, but his his issues is that his daddy is dead, and then... He's very sad about his, it, but his mom is adorable. Okay, yeah, so you is, uh, he, he's not a cadet of any sort. He is not in the mecha, he's not in the space, like, this has been going on a while. We should say that the story starts that this has been happening for a while, that every few years... Crazy robot aliens show up, and then humans get to pilot the crazy robot alien, and that's what helps them fight the space bugs. And um, so this has kind of been normalized. Like, there's an academy of, like, we're going to put promising kids through, you know, push-ups and learning about bug fighting uh, so that when they crash, we'll just immediately introduce the robots to the three most promising kid. Because the robots always crash in threes. Uh, again... It's a lot of, they're using the mystery to just sort of have fun with robot tropes, so crazy stuff can happen. Uh, but in this case, uh, our, our, our young protagonist, Yu, is not, he is not a space cadet. He is, he is, he's, his, a, he's a janitor. Well, his mom is a janitor, and he just tags along at work. Uh, well, she tells him to basically become a janitor. She's like, this is a safer job, and you dreams of joining the academy. He wants to feel like he matters. Um, and unlike Shinji Akari, who I want to bitch slap most of the time, Yu is a character that he's, he's incredibly kind. Even when he's upset with people, he tries to see the good in everyone, including 
and I'm forgetting the character's name, the daughter of the general. Yeah. Um, who she treats him awfully. Like she is horrific to him, and yet he still looks at her and is kind. Yeah. Uh and he's poor, so part of it is, you know, yeah, his mom are there, trying to it's super classist. It's yeah. super classist, and uh, that's part of the fun. Part of the fun. Well, and he, I, what I love about him is the relationship between you and his mom is one of my favorites in the story. Well, just it's so like classic, like Chinese mom, do right boy. Well, that and it's, but it's also that little bit of they recognize each other's faults, but they they push each other in different ways, especially when you get to the last volume. Where you is is trying to tell his mom like this is where I needed to be. I know you don't approve of it, but look at all the good I've done. I I mean something to people, and she tries to tell him well, you've meant something to me all along. Yeah, and we're jumping ahead of it because I don't know. I just don't want to talk about how cute they were because I'm gonna forget. So so as it turns out, um, one of the robots for this round is a fuck up as well. So he crashes way off site. You know, because I guess this is super predictable because they keep landing in the same spot. Uh, and so a busted up robot crashes way away from where he ought to be and becomes and, and immediately bonds with you, who is, you know, just being moody in the wasteland. Because mom don't understand his needs. Mom don't understand my needs, man. And so... Uh, that, that, that gives us, of course, you know, a really great, like, super robot-y falling into the cockpit moment. And part of, I think, what's really cool is that, uh, because, wow, my mic is super loud. My mic is super loud. I'm sorry. This is gonna be clipped as shit, isn't it? Test, test, test. That's probably better. One, two, three. Hey, how's it going? Okay, uh, try and try and some more. I hope. I'm actually hit pause. Sorry, but anyway. Um, so yeah, uh, because this has been going all a while, they get to kind of introduce the original Mech Cadet uh, character as you know now middle aged and still rascally. Like it's. Uh, it's very much like he's supposed to be like out of Gigantor or something. He's definitely meant to feel like an older era of Super Robot Show. And he's the, the, this character is, you know, afforded tremendous respect within the army and just gets to be a goof, a goof and fun. Like he, 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 the command structure sort of built around him as a creaky step. And even though he's like, I don't really want to be in command. I just want to like wave at people and be ridiculous. And well he understands the value of punching giant bug monsters yeah. from space, but he he really doesn't care about anything that's grown up around the problem. Let's be honest, he's not exactly uh one to inspire confidence in our young heroes. Well, except he's so fatherly and fun yeah. that it takes a lot of pressure off when, you know, all the other kids are being put through hell. And it's like, look, the robot knows what it's doing. You just got to keep up. 
And so the story arc progresses where the army tries to take more and more control. And because they're cutting up robots, uh, they to make eviler robots for the army, there's like sort of a bunch of reject robots that have to like get saved. And it, it's it's and then they win. That that's it. Like I kind of wish this would run a little longer as a series. That's my one complaint because because I think it left some nice big holes that could have been. The antagonist plot doesn't really go past like the mean general guy. Yeah, because you could have maybe gone into. I'm not saying you have to explain the bug aliens from space. Bug aliens from space are just a good excuse for robot punchins. But you could have gone into it a little more and built up some drama and had a really good climax where all the robots team up and punch super hard. Yeah, because the first two volumes are solid. There's a good story movie. And then that last one just, it fizzles. And I'm really sad. And I don't know if that's part of just, he was only given three volumes to work with. Well, I think, well, Greg Pak's a good Greg Pak's a real comic book writer. So if if, if he'd been told 12 from the start, I think he would have planned 12, and I'm not sure if maybe there was a disconnect there where at some point he was told 24 and got 13, or something, or maybe he had, or maybe he got way more Marvel money thrown at him and he had to tie off his creator on project quick. At the end of the day, Metcat U has. A lot of positives. The characters are a lot of fun. The story is ridiculous. I love the robot designs. The ro- I was going to say, the robot designs are actually really cool. They're, I, and I should mention that these robots are sapient. They don't speak, but they definitely express themselves. Yeah. They're super expressive. They're super fun. Each robot has its own feel, its own persona. I really liked it. I just wish it had been a little bit longer. Yeah. And like, and that that's not the worst complaint, truthfully, to get um, for, you know, a three-volume series that, truthfully, no one would have picked up if it really hadn't been for the name attached to it. Well, I mean, Greg Pak is not a huge mover. No, but given some of the stuff that Boom does... This one's a little outside the regular wheelhouse. I mean, it is... It is it's hard to argue because it's like super kid. Fr- it's an all ages book. Exactly, it's an all ages book. It's super kid friendly, and yet, as an adult, there's a lot of callbacks to different mecha series that you kind of sit there and you giggle at. Again, you is supposed to be in a weird way Shinji Ikari, but he's no. Just a, you know, I'm sorry, he's got. Some of the bitchy bits of Shinji. No, no. He's definitely an older super robot kid. You think he's an older super robot? Like what? You think he's more like a... What What would you say on the scale of that? Like, like Actually, you're right. The girl is more Shinji than... No, nah, she's an Asuka or something. Or uh, no. what's her name from Strain? I could see Asuka. I'm like getting Shin- I have Shinji on my brain for some reason. Because we were talking about the new dub for Ava. Right. Um, Shinji's still a bitch. Um... I haven't watched it yet. I'm just stating well, the obvious. Why would I, I also love Shinji. I don't think there's a good reason for us to watch the new dub when I still have my platinum collection. True. Um, sorry, you. You are not Shinji. I'm going to now apologize. Look, we've apologized twice on the show. Um, who do you think you is then if you're talking about old school super robot protagonists? 
Like, is he kind of closer to an Amaro Ray? Yeah. Is he more of like a Camille? Is he like, is he like Mike Gain? <laughs> Actually, Mike Gain might be a good. Ex- well, no, Mike Gain. He like he's like he's got parent. Maito has uh, you know parent issues and the perfect life, and I think this guy maybe. He reminds me a little more of some of the guys from like Messenger or uh Oh not Messenger or Super Hot Blooded. I can't find a good fit. I almost wish we could just ask Greg Pot. I wanna ask him this exact question, just like, who's the inspiration to you? Because he he does have an old world feel to him. Like he he's, does. He's he's got a there's something sixties about a lot of this. Like, and I appreciate it. I, I and like casting the nineties as antagonists is kind of fun. Again, if you have access to Hoopla or uh, Comixology, or you got a local library, or hell, go buy it at your bookstore. Well, I kind of use worth it. I well, think. hey, I mean, maybe, maybe just maybe you have a local comic store that's actually friendly, and you could actually go in there and get something. But if you don't have a friendly local comic store. It's worth a try. It, I mean, as much as the ending doesn't totally kick, uh, the first half is great. I adore the first half. And again, you and his mom are just heckin' adorable, and that alone made the comic for me to follow. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I like it. I would say it's worth checking out. Alright, so our second half of this is oh. Full Metal Panic Invisible Victory. Oh, this is going to be so hard to talk about. Alright, so the fun of Full Metal Panic is in its cast. So, of course, bringing uh, bringing it back to TV 13 years later, what do you do right off the bat? Uh, you separate the cast. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. Okay. So, this is, I guess, picking up so this is, again, this is based on a series of novels, so these all came out really close together, and it probably flows really nicely. If you read it, which I can now do, because their the novels are getting translated into English again, but, so picking up on, I guess, our one actual serious episode of Fumafu, uh, Tess's brother is a jerk who wants to kidnap Kaname, so force her into marriage as per usual. As per usual. So of course the answer is to uh stick a bunch of robots on the high school, which means that the high school gets blown up and all the high school cast uh moves away. And then also stick a bunch of giant robots on the secret, you know, base for Mithril and have those characters break up and hide. So that Sosuke is left alone in, like, Thailand, basically living out an arc from Votomes. And about halfway through this, Tessa comes back and has an episode to herself. And Kaname has half an episode to herself. And then at the end, uh, Sosuke gets a cool new robot, but it's still got his AI pal from... The other series, we love you, and maybe in season five, uh, all the car- the, t- the the band gets back together and punches the bad guy. But we're kind of left with thirteen episodes of not that much. So I'm gonna start the first statement. Uh, Scott, and I don't like Tessa normally. 
I want to give them props that Tessa didn't suck this season. Oh no, Tessa is out- actually the best character this season, Way which down. which is baffling given the previous seasons. Well, she gets one episode where she just outwits everybody, and it, it's actually one of the clever episodes. And um, uh, another thing which should mention is that fuck Vic Mignola, Mignonia. He steals sandwiches and sexually assaults people and says homophobic things. And it's a shame because Kurt Weber is an adorable character. But, but fuck that guy. But fuck, fuck that. Fuck that asshole. With that statement out of the way, it's not like Kurt did much this season, yeah, so no. we kind of can ignore him. Sadly, Mao didn't do much this season, which breaks my heart because... I get. I love Allison Keith. I love her so much, and they they dug her out of being a school teacher to come back. She makes Mal a school teacher in the other town in Texas. By the way, I love Mal. I'm sad that Mal did not get as many shining moments as she often. She gets some of the best zingers usually, and. Again, there's something about this season where even the side characters were kind of lacking. Um, like even Clouseau, who I really liked from Second Raid, you know, he's he's trying to be the big boy in front of Tessa, and even he kind of falls flat. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I should say that the bit where Sosuke is living out of Votom's arc is pretty good. I mean, it might have been nicer if some of the supporting cast was something. There's just like the ginger girl who helps him build his. I thought that plotline was stupid. I'm gonna outright say that plotline was absolutely fucking garbage. It added nothing. Well, that that's. It adds nothing. It's one of those things where they were trying to add a potential secondary love interest. No, it's not even that. No, no. Let me let me fucking finish. You won't. It's one sided. No, it's not even that. See, I don't know what you were watching, because, like, she totally is kind of like, hey, kind of like you. No. Different cues. I, that's what kind of I noticed, but, okay, tell me I'm wrong. No, I, see, that's the thing. This character is so nothing, because this plot is so, no, you are saying it's bad because she's a lousy love interest. I'm saying it's bad because... This doesn't reinforce anything we know about Sosuke. Well, that was my secondary point. Is that they add this character who essentially helps Sosuke get a new robot. Really. She gets killed and you don't feel anything for her. And it's infuriating because at that point it's you could have got another robot by other means for all we know. Or he could have just look. They they established that um, stupid Tess's brother Leo has you know a legion of dudes who are shady, and so Sosuke. This is it. Is Sosuke gets kicked out of Japan? He, he gets get, forced to play battle bots, and he decides that well, if I'm living in Nam Thailand. It's Thailand. Thailand, that he's gonna go to be a Solaris 7 guy, and, or, uh, you know, Dead World Sunza, or whatever the fuck we want to call it. Wodo City, not Dead World Sunza. 
So he's going to be, I'm going to earn money as a mech merc in the fighting pits. Because I'm boring. And this is it. It's like you literally could have had the helicopter blow up, had him wash up in the same church he is eight episodes later, establish the bad guy. But the three episodes that we have to deal with Bangkok. I'm going to assume it's Bangkok. It's been a while. Um, With these nonchalant, boring, blah characters... Add nothing to it. None of them is even half as cool as and Vanilla, that's, man. And that's why I am so frustrated that when the redhead dies, like, Sosuke's fucking losing his mind, but there's no establishment to why he's losing his fucking mind other than she was nice to him. Oh, and Kalinin's a traitor? Kalinin's yeah. a traitor. Kaladin. Kal- Kaladin. I'm Googling that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Kaladin. I'm pretty sure no one has a D in their name. The Kaladin. Kaladin? Kaladin! Watch me be partially right. Do I get partial credit? Tell me I get partial credit. There's no way anyone has Kal- a D in Is it Kaladin? No way. I-, I didn't say Kaladin this time. I said Kaladin. I like the other guy anyways. Well, remember, he, he's a double, he's a double agent, right? Yeah. Please obviously edit this bit out, because none oh, of yeah, us can no. never figure out the fucking name. And I guess none of the summary has the name. That's weird. Oh! Kalanin. Kalanin. Okay. Because it's a Japanese thing. I was gonna say they wouldn't have a D. They would. They they wouldn't use D's that way in a Japanese name. No, so Kalanin. Kalanin is a bad guy, which again comes up in the last two episodes. Which, if this if season five comes out fast, this will pay off well. But I suspect uh, I'm just gonna have to read the book. I him being a double agent just. I wish I cared, I think is the problem. I generally like him and the other commander a lot. I think they're actually, they can be both interesting characters. No, Mardukas is just there to... I like Mardukas. He gets the odd, the odd line that's pretty great. No, Mardukas is there to legitimize Tessa's authority. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, no, yeah. I think it's really shit. I think it's really shit that it's not until four seasons into this. But that's what I mean. This this is the season where oddly he didn't. Have to well, do that, that that's it. Tessa proves herself, prove, proves her lady balls and her her her. And breath. is like shit. No, like no, it's not even that. It's she earns her lady balls and her brass bars on the the uniform, honestly twice. Yeah. Twice. She straight up, she cusses out a mercenary, and then she outwits everybody, and Mardukas doesn't have to stand right beside her and repeat her orders loudly and in a bass tone to make it seem legit. Oh, I always liked Mardukas. I don't know why. He doesn't do much, but Chris Kalanin, you know, is always like, Tessa, what do we need to do? No. Well, Kalanin was always there to be like, he was guidance, wasn't he? He, he, was, he was, I guess, uh, he was guidance for Sosuke. And 
Not that Sosuke ever used it. Well, no. So Sosuke Sosuke is a bad kid, and he really loses his any direction in this absent any supporting cast because yeah. everyone is left without supporting cast. So yeah, and I, I know the best episode of the series is the one where Tessa and Mao outsmart everyone. And that is kind of the big issue with Invisible Victory. It's these are all wonderful characters and they all play off of each other so well. So to have them all separated, it's really depressing. I, I get that in one sense, it I get it, it makes sense why they're separated in the story. It does for the most part. But it's that little thing where the show doesn't have the level of staying power. You don't care as much as to what's happening. Like, Sosuke is my favorite character. And I thought there was too many episodes of Sosuke alone for my taste because Sosuke wasn't growing. He wasn't figuring things out. He was kind of just... It's supposed to be like the, oh, all is lost for our heroes. They must wander alone and we'll feel sad for them. But they kind of dragged that four episodes past the point of pathos. And now, even if, you know, season five happens in the fall, the idea of them rallying and punching the bad guy is just not going to be half as so satisfying. Well, no, and I mean, as much as there was some really interesting fight sequences in this season, like, I think the one in the church was was really good, actually. Like, Sosuke constantly proves that he refuses to die. Well, I think the... Well, the church is great, but the thing that lands him in the church, the uh, him running through the stadium, yeah. bleeding like crazy, and wrecking like, everybody. Cool. You know, that's like, you know, there's a reason why him and Kiriko are friends in Super Robot Wars. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with the ability to make coffee on a campfire. But yeah, it's, it's really sad because I, I do actually think the plot line with Tessa's team being separated is actually the more interesting one. And that that is frustrating. Because, like we said, Sosuke had too many episodes alone. And Sosuke alone is actually not that interesting. Well, he, there's no one for him... There's no one for him to get in trouble with! Well, that's it. It's like he's in a lawless town, so the idea that he pulls guns on people is completely sensible, as opposed to being comedically out of place. I like, like him shooting up a bakery to get a plain roll is perfectly sensible in Bangkok thing. Yeah. But <laughs> with, without that contrast, the show just doesn't have the fun that made it pop against other mech shows of the time. And I'm sorry, but the one character I think that got done dirty in this whole season was Chittery. And I don't think the way that they handled the plotline for her was at all interesting, nor was it good. And I really, really despise the way in which she was kind of brought down with her, like with her being kidnapped by Leo. Because yeah, Leo is not interesting. I have never liked Leo. Like anyone who finds Leo to be interesting, grow a pair. Well, again, the last time. Leo kidnapped her. She escaped somehow. And then did it again somehow. Yeah, this show she just sort of makes omelets in his mopey. 
Well, not just it. Like, Chittery has the most boring, sad, unsatisfying story. And all it is is her pining for Sosuke. And I'm sorry, but the Konami Chittery that we dealt with in the first season and in the second season is not that damn mopey girl. Yeah. So when we get the glimpses of her going around and being like, Sosuke, you better come and fucking save me. I appreciate because it's her still having a little bit of fire, but I feel like the show restrained that quite a bit because she doesn't even seem to be entirely upset being kidnapped by Leo. It's almost like it's something Scooby-Doo-ish. Like, okay, Leo kidnapped me again. I guess I'm going to go have a swim and maybe try not to get into my trouble because Mike, because Sosuke will come and save me because that is always how it works. And interestingly, that sort of happened. A little. Sort of. Um, but she got done dirty. And I that makes me really sad because generally, like I said, I'm never a Tessa fan. This is the season where I kind of swapped places and I was like, man, Tessa's awesome. And Kaname turned into damsel in distress in a way that just made me really unhappy. Did, did, was that, did that make you unhappy, Scott? Again, this whole thing is... The show is, this mech show is the fun one. It's the funny one. And comedy needs groups to happen. So when you separate the cast, you've just got, well, again, I come back to lousy votones. Well, this is it. I mean, even Second Raid, for all of its seriousness and dark plot lines that it did try to throw in like Invisible Victory just kind of lacked it lacked direction it wanders it totally wanders and it's a hard it's a hard show to like even as a big fan of the series I gotta admit I was kind of bored we waited waited. the CG was ugly oh the the car chase was the worst but yeah first episode car chase ugh 13 years for that. Yeah, no. 13 years. No, and that show, truthfully, like, it's a turnoff, and I don't recommend it. Even for fans, I don't recommend it, because it doesn't add anything. The Invisible Victory video game might be the better way to do this. You should talk to Joshua Carpenter. He reviewed it. He gave it a 2.5. Okay, maybe not. (laughs) By RB Gamer's scale, 2.5. Wait, well, if if this shows like a 1.5, I guess 2.5 is better. Because it's even at all. <laughs> I don't even know anymore. I don't know. Maybe we instead play the game where they have to shoot dragons. That could be interesting. I, I really do want to see more of Sosuke's involvement in Super Robot Wars because I feel like he's adorable. <laughs> no, again, I flash back to the time him and... Kiriko and Setsuna and Hiro Yui are all just staring at each other, not talking, and it's the best scene. Yeah. I, I wanted to love Invisible Victory. Unfortunately, I don't. It made me kind of actually just want to rewatch the first season and from the through again. Which is, and again, I will I will make one positive. The cast on the show is still absolutely fantastic. They they still managed to make a really, really dull story slightly more entertaining. And again, Alice and Keith, fucking love you, woman. 
I wish you'd come back to voice acting more often because she is she is a rewarding life teaching children. I, I get that, but I still need her to be my drunken in a you know, completely lady. different part of Texas. I'm sorry, she still needs to be my drunken queen in every damn show. I'm very sorry. Damn it! When we get to Double O, you're gonna love Sumerai. Oh, I know she's gonna be my drunk queen. Yeah. So I, I should explain myself. Sometimes when I watch shows, there is always a drunk woman. And they are always my favorite. Watching Terrace House, Sena is my drunk queen. And then, like, Mao is my drunk queen. And Misato is my drunk queen. So Sumeragi's probably going to be my drunk queen. It's going to be great. All right. So that that's it for this episode. So Chris Patton, I still love you. <laughs> Catch you next time. Again, keep our sponsors. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Thank you for just telling people we're still making stuff. It's awesome. And Scott's not going to have me on the show now for a while. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. Later. Dude, not cool. Uh, I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Thank you very much for listening. This show is brought to you under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike License Version 3.0. You can find more of our episodes at sbokpodcast.com and be sure to like us, rate us, review us, share us on whatever means you like best because that does help us a great deal. Have a good day. <laughs>